Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Infinity Festival 2021, we are here on the main stage. Let me hear it from you guys. Come on, afternoon hump, come on, woo! Let me all hear you say hump. Oh, come on, hump. All right, that's good, that's all I'm gonna get, I guess, all right. <laughs> I am so excited to introduce this next session, and for all of you at home watching this virtually, these are like three of the smartest people, I'm gonna say this, in Los Angeles on Selma and Coenga Avenue right now, all right? They are absolutely the three smartest people on Selma Avenue right now, and they, are, are, they have, wear various hats, they've had various roles, one of them is a futurist, one of them is running like a next-gen lab, and one of them knows everything there is to know about everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, brainstorming the future of entertainment. We have Charlie, Vicky, and Ted. Let's have a big Infinity F Festival welcome. Come on! All right, that's what I'm talking about. Hey, well, that was a great introduction. I seriously doubt any of that was true, but it certainly made me feel very good. So, thank you for that, Laurie. I always pride myself on being not the smartest person in the room. That is I, my That's why I hang trade. around with these people. I'm not, I don't know anything about the future of entertainment. But I do know something about something called the metaverse. Yeah, we do. We're starting to learn about that, aren't we? I said, we're not going to talk about it. I just thought I would say at the top of this panel that every panel really has been about the future of entertainment, which, of course, uh, in the context of the news uh, of the past couple of weeks, means the metaverse. But, you know, for those of you who have been around as long as uh, we have, there was something once upon a time called cyberspace. So I have a very strong feeling that we will talk about the metaverse someday. Yeah, and the, the World Wide Web. Remember when we used to call it the World Wide Web? Exactly. When somebody says the World Wide Web, you kind of cringe because it's like your grandmother Identified, who also right. calls it Facebook Faceplace. <laughs> so um, let, let me start with you, Vicky, because you already do some pretty futuristic work at ILMX Lab. Um, so anything you do really defines the future of entertainment. So what, what are you guys working on now? Well, I think what we're really interested in right now, and, and this is um, my interpretation of the metaverse um, as it relates to, you know, sort of creative content um, approach, is connected storytelling across platforms and really thinking about story in its broadest sense um, and all of the individual component parts of it. So. I sometimes describe it like a mosaic and where each tile in a mosaic needs to stand on its own. It's on an individual platform and, and ideally has been designed to play to the strengths of the platform. That those tiles across an entire um, design would include those that are big and small, you know, um, location-based, home-based, um, lean-in, you know, uh, lean back and so forth. But what's beautiful about it is, is that you could um, participate in any single experience and it would be satisfying. But if you are able to experience multiple and it's been designed holistically, then when you sort of pull back and you see the mosaic in its entirety, it's a much richer and more complex design. So that's a very long way to say, though, that is guiding our thinking about where we're going uh, with immersive storytelling. What, what I, a great would, segue, because you were just talking about story-worlding. I was. To use Brett Leonard's phrase. You but were I, but I, would, I, I would say, to your point, that 
was the essence of Disney, right? Of yep. Walt himself was this somehow way back, he understood this layered approach to entertainment that it wasn't just I'm making a TV show, I'm making a movie, I'm making a theme park ride. It's I'm making all of those things and I'm gonna see how they link together to enhance that essential enchantment of the customer, right? But, and we know, were, Walt, yeah. Walt Disney was essentially creating a virtual reality, yeah. right? He was yes. using the tools of his, his day, which was, you know, stagecraft and um, set deck sets and, you know, force perspective and all those theater tricks that you see in the Haunted Mansion. That was the technology that he had to create a virtual world. But I think his epiphany was people want to walk around inside of the movie, which is, of course, a very different experience than watching a dramatic um, presentation. And of course, there's no better example of this. I mean, yes, Disney, but hello, Star Wars. Yeah. Right, where we have now this highly, highly developed mythology that, that spans time and space, literally. Which is the perfect foundation for the kind of connected storytelling that we're talking about. And in terms of things that we at XLab have done, I, I think I, um, I'm most proud of Vader Immortal just because it was such a, a, a leap of faith in so many different ways. I mean, working with an IP like Star Wars, you have to be custodians of the um, IP as well as innovators. And no one had ever attempted something of the scope and scale that we did. No one had, you know, the Quest wasn't even out. It was a launch title for the Quest. But back to your point about um, stepping inside a movie or being inside a movie, we had a, a sort of um, aha moment on that project because when we first started, we thought about it a little bit more traditionally. And we thought about it as if you would be an observer, um, sort of a ghost, and the story would unfold around you. Um, and then we realized, you know what, that is not at all taking advantage of the fact that of what VR is and that this is all being developed in real time. And so we realized that you ha this had to be your story. And even though Vader is an incredibly iconic character, this had to be your story, and then your unfolding relationship with Vader was the journey. And I think that, that that's what I, when I talk about like designing to the strengths of the platform, we definitely had to pivot our thinking in order to, to do exactly that. Well, and, and like, just because we were sharing off stage, I've had this kind of still rarefied air experience of going to Disneyland and being able to ride the new rides in the Galaxy's Edge area, which the whole area is incredibly themed and really detailed and just, you know, looking at an X-Wing fighter at scale, you're just like, wow. But a couple of the rides, you know, the, the Smuggler's Run Wide is amazing, but it's kind of the evolution of Star Tours, right? Yep. But the Rise of the Resistance ride takes it to a whole new level, and it's like, so awe-inspiring the way they're using the technology to the point where it's kind of so on the edge that it breaks a lot. Like they have issues with it because it, you know, this is an interesting, like I kind of take a positive spin on that. They're pushing it so hard that it's not stable. Like, yeah. and that's really, I know it's sometimes challenging for the guests, <laughs> but as a technologist, it's really interesting for me to see it that way. As I was riding that ride, which by the way, if you get a chance to do it the next year or two, please go out and do it. I, it's worth every penny and every hour you'll wait to do it. Um, at the same time, I'm thinking, I have the longer, more detailed experiences that I can do across your IP with Star Wars and other IPs 
at my beck and call with this device that I can put on my head with no wires that's extremely consumer friendly and cost effective. And I can be in the Vader world if I want for as long as I want because of that technology. And that technology is just getting better. So the fact that you were an early adopter in that and said, we're going to dive into this, like us at Fox at the time when I was yeah. at Fox, and now I'm at Viacom CBS, same thing. We're seeing the opportunities and the possibilities, knowing that these are the storytelling platforms of the today and tomorrow. And it's a really interesting thing to be at. Well, the other thing I think is so fascinating, you were really kind of hitting on it there, is this idea that boundaries are disappearing, physical boundaries, virtual boundaries, et cetera. And one of the things we tried to do with um, Star Wars Tales from the Galaxy's Edge, which is our more recent release, was really extend the boundaries of Black Spire Outpost. But we very intentionally did not want to recreate what they had done so so beautifully in the park. Extend from that. Extend it, right. So where you, in, when you're in Cecil Slack's Cantina, which is a competitor of Oga's down in um, We went to Black Oga's, Spire. which was exactly. really amazing. But you're actually on the outer rim. So you can look down at Black Spire Outpost, but you can't go there. Um, but what you do is you go out into the wilds of Batu. And I heard some earlier conversation and, and uh, you know, what will compel people to want to spend more time in these immersive um, platforms? And I think it's to go and do things that you can't do in the physical world. Um, and I, I, it might have been you that was Ski talking Ski down about the pyramids, climb Mount Everest with Batman. Or, 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 yeah, or, or be in a so world. So opening to Ready Player. Go to the moon. <laughs> like this morning, I was doing my supernatural workout, which just got bought by, used to be called Facebook, now Meta. Um, and one, they have this new boxing thing. I'm like, I got to try the new boxing thing. So I did. And one of the places they take you is the moon. So you're boxing on the moon, exactly. which you can't really do in real life unless you're Elon Musk or almost Jeff Bezos, right? He's not quite there yet, but he's getting there, right? So... Anyway. Well, it's funny, though, because you're absolutely right. And, like, fashion is an interesting area that I have been interested in. And um, a lot of what I see people trying to do with VR is recreate a boutique. A phys and it looks a lot like the real-world boutique. And I'm like, well, yeah. that's okay. Why are you restricted <laughs> to the real world when you can explore and open those boundaries, exactly, right? Exactly, exactly. And similarly, we did a... Um, an experiment a couple years ago with um, a designer, Stephen Tai, and um, the London College of Fashion Innovation Agency in, in London. And we, what we were trying to do in that particular case was sort of understand what it's like to have um, real-time performance where uh, and a, the performer actually drives the performance as opposed to the choreography driving the performer. So it was all real time and, and live composited and so forth. And um, what was interesting about it is, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, Stephen um, was very brave as a designer to, to try something that had never been done before. And um, because this was his show. And, uh, but, you know, one of the things that I was really intrigued with, but we didn't get to go there, is like, how do you use um, this technology to um, augment with the physical world? So, you know, you could have a physical garment, but maybe there is a accompanying design that is all virtual. And I think this, is, this becomes real when you have AR glasses and, and so forth. But like, why, why recreate um,
physical garments in, in digital form. It'll never look as good as, as the, the real thing does. But imagine, you know, augmenting it with, with, with flames, or as we were talking about at the time, if you had a, um, a fabric, let's just say there was a chameleon on it, you know, it's a beautiful design, and then the chameleon comes to life, crawls off the, the pattern, onto the floor, you know, moves around, comes back, crawls back into the pattern. Now, like, that is, you know, additive. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a great example of the future of entertainment not being storytelling. <laughs> it's, it's visual, it's... Um, but not necessarily passive narrative, narrative traditional storytelling. Yeah. Right, and it, its context is ex itself. Right. Yeah, but, well, and I would argue, though, that that is a story. It's just a yeah, small story. Well, and <laughs> one of the, the points you're making, there's a show... I, I was very overt with my colleagues on the Viacom side saying, I wish we'd have done this first, but it's my friends at Fox, my previous roots that did it, um, did a show that's on Fox now called Alter Ego, which is using real-time game engine technology to kind of make like the next version of The Masked Singer. And it's not, they're not wearing physical costumes, they're in a mocap suit behind stage, and their game engine avatar in real time is performing for the judges, and some of the things you're talking about happen where the costumes aren't restricted to their physical space. They can light their hair on fire, they can throw fireballs, they can throw sparkles, they can do all these things that used to be kind of relegated to the gaming space and now are migrating into the what we call traditional television entertainment space for a wider demographic. So good on them for taking that shot and I think it is becoming a little bit of a phenomenon. It's certainly a technical phenomenon that it's moving out of the, this is only for video gamers into, this is not only for video gamers. This is for, you know, mom and pop wanting to watch TV at night. That's kind exactly. of interesting. Exactly, and we're gonna use the technology to do things that we can't do in the physical world. Right. So we're gonna take advantage of both the physical world and the virtual world. So Ted, you, one of the things that I love about you is that you get to see everything first. So, so tell me uh, yeah, what, <laughs> what has surprised and excited you uh, over the past year that you think is going, that we're all going to see soon? Hmm. Well, I mean, I do think that the wave of mixed reality devices, the advanced stuff that's still in the corners of the universe that are largely being worked at in science labs at these big techutainment companies, as I like to refer to them, and in the universities and in the sort of dark corners of the world that are really pushing the envelope on what is possible for blending the real world and the artificial world are maybe the most enticing and exciting things for me. The, the VR headsets that we use today are wonderful, and there's no critique of how we've moved so fast from this hyper-friction world of cables and sensors on the walls and the PC and the Windows interface and all the aggravation to an all-in-one device that's just a couple hundred dollars that kind of gets you there. Fantastic. But it's still not the dream machine yet. It's still not to use kind of our IP world. It's still not the holodeck yet, right? But some of the things I've seen around the next corners are really starting to approach the idea of I've completely forgotten what's real and what's not real. And I've gotten a chance to do these things where, you know, you use that, oh, well, my, my mind was blown. But literally, my mind was blown. And I'm sure you've seen some of the similar things, some of these things that are still very, very early prototype devices. They're not comfortable to wear yet. They require a lot of compute power. But they, the dream becomes real. And I've seen that, like it's a real thing, you know. Well, we were, like, I saw a few weeks ago in San Francisco, yeah, yeah, Lightfield Light Labs, Labs right. um, debuted its system and they build objects out of light 
and light is coming out of the wall and out of the floor and out of the ceiling, which is something that we've never seen that before. Right. The idea that, okay, it, it was you know pretty crude. They did a chameleon. They did a watch spinning in space. So you know they didn't exactly launch a rocket to the moon, but they showed that it was possible to build things with light. Yeah, and we've seen... I mean, naked eye holograms are not something, uh, you know, Microsoft and Facebook both love to talk about holograms, but they are not, in fact, holograms. They're not real holograms. Holograms you see with your naked eye, unaided. That is their definition. Um, I mean, I know there are convenient ways to talk about, you know, 3D, uh, you know, virtual people, but they are not, in fact, holograms. But Lightfield Labs actually is making holograms. And if you take it to the nth degree and just thinking out 10, 20, even 30 years, the holodeck, which you just brought up, Starts is actually possible. Yeah. Yep. yeah, A screen like this behind us is a vestige of the past. It's a bunch of dots on a two-dimensional environment. What we're starting to create and become real now are dots that are actually living in real space, just like you're a real thing, right? And there could be a digital version of you or your best friend or your avatar next to you, and it would feel and look just as real as you. That's, you know, in our lifetime, that's going to happen. And certainly in some of the audience lifetime that's younger than us is going to happen. <laughs> I was in a, um, a presentation, this was probably five or six years ago, Mark Bolas um, yeah. was giving a presentation at Lucasfilm, and he showed this one slide, and it absolutely blew my mind. Um, and it was basically a white room with a um, white table and a chair. And that was all that was in the room. And he said that this could be the room of the future. And the reason is, is because absolutely everything else could be digitally generated and overlaid. So your, 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 um, your screens, it could be decorated any way you want. It could change and it becomes so real where what you, the world that you're in, in your office of the future, um, could change, you know, instantly. I saw, there's a science fiction short on YouTube called Wingman. Uh, and, and in it, I mean, the plot is silly, and, and it's kind of a, a, a goofy, futuristic, um, you know, boy-girl story. But the guy takes the girl back to his apartment, and it's empty. There's nothing on the walls. There's no TV. It's completely bare because the glasses need a projection surface so that... Yeah. So that it's the, the screen, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the screen. That's right. The whole room is the screen. Yeah. That's ex- I think that was exactly Mark's point. Yeah. But once you sort of start to allow your mind to go there, um, it's both incredibly exciting from an imagination perspective and also slightly terrifying because, you know, we're very comfortable in the real world and with things that we understand, things that we can pick up and that we feel. And so I, I think we're all going to have to learn um, as we develop experiences, where is that perfect balance of the real world and the digital world? And, and also the mixed reality gives you the ability to, um, to do both, right? You can, you know, eventually we'll have a single device with that, you know, provides all ranges of, of reality, no doubt. And so you can move between the full real world, mm-hmm. the digital overlays, all the way over to being in a fully virtual world. Yeah. Interesting. So there was a <clears throat> panel again earlier. So all these panels kind of blend together, especially if you do a few of them in one day. <laughs> uh, but they were talking about the future of live music. Mm. And I do think the pandemic 
it, one of the things that really has come out of the pandemic is this idea of the virtual concert mm -hmm. that you consume on your 2D device, but it's a 3D experience. And of course, the one everybody's talking about is uh, the Travis Scott yeah. concert. Travis Scott and Ariana Grande. There's 27 million people yeah. saw the thing and Live. Electric Daisy so. Carnival just did 50 artists in Roblox, right, as a, as a representation of this is happening. It's more than just games in these environments. It's social connective tissue where people are doing more than just playing. They're doing the things they would do in the real world. And largely, they've, and this is a little science fiction-y, they've largely left the real world behind, right? They're very comfortable with their screens, and as their screens get better and more advanced and more immersive and more spatial, they're just gonna continue to enjoy that to the point where it, it is like a weird, you know, one of those Star Trek episodes with the guys with the big brains, and you're like, why do you have to actually do anything in person anymore? But there was still a kind of a lovely experience of actually when Charlie and I saw each other, we were on a podcast every week together, we see each other on video. Right. Two years, I was like, oh, you actually look pretty similar to uh, what you look like in the podcast. Pretty cool, you know? Um, Ted and I do a podcast on Friday mornings where we hash over the week's news and, and have a special guest. So this is a little bit like that. It's kind of like that, right. So we're very comfortable with each other. <laughs> We stuck so, you in the middle for a reason, Vicky. <laughs> so so the, the, the music thing, though, I think is important because not only is it democratizing, um, but it, it changes the economics a little bit. I mean, we don't yet have uh, a kind of blockchain currency. Credit card companies haven't quite invented a way for us to do ultra micro transactions of like 10 cents. But if you imagine that everybody who went into the Travis Scott experience had some kind of a wallet, they dropped 10 cents in the bucket when they went in, right? 10 cents is like no friction at all, yeah. right? 10 cents almost doesn't exist anymore. But if people had put in 10 cents, yeah, at scale, Travis Scott would have right. made, you know, uh, uh, a lot. you know, two, two and a half million dollars <laughs> in 12 minutes. Right, and the version of that, that is what is really happening is they upgrade their skins to get closer to the action, to get <laughs> into the good seats and feel like they're more connected to the experience. And that may only in our generation be worth something if we're like in the back or like, boy, I would pay money to be up there. But in the digital version of that as a kid, you know, as someone that was very comfortable in this, being back there and being up here and skinning up to do that is worth real money to the point Well, of it's worth real money. I mean, if you went to see Tame Impala tonight at the Hollywood Bowl and, and you got a box seat, it'd be $450 right. for a ticket. Right. So there ain't no kid playing Fortnite who's got two $450 for a ticket, I mean, one might, ticket. You might be surprised, but yes. <laughs> but <laughs> but, but, but what I'm saying is you, you could have millions of people Correct. attend. There's no, there's no limitation. They pay 10 cents. They get just as close to Travis Scott as the person person who paid, you know, $450. So it really changes who goes, who experiences it, and where the value is. And of course, Travis Scott didn't have to spend half a million dollars to put on his show. Yeah. So it, it, it seems to me that we may see manifested in music and musical entertainment a lot of the things that we're talking about, it may happen in music first. Yeah, and when, when you think about it, when you want to take entertainment to scale, what do we do, right? We don't ask the mountain to come to Muhammad, we bring Muhammad to the mountain, right? So we say, we will make the entertainment and we will deliver it through the mechanism that is most convenient for you, most price effective for you, and the lowest point of friction. That's how we got cinema, and that's how we got television, and that's how we currently have VR, and next we'll have mixed reality, because it is easier 
to do that for a customer and deliver something remarkable without the restrictions of time and space. Like with a theme park, you still have lines and you yep. still have a restriction on the amount of people. With a physical concert, even in a giant auditorium, you still have the limitations of physicality. What we're doing with the digital realm, with the metaverse in all of its forms, is we're removing that layer, we're removing that, that restrictive quality and certainly you know going back to Disney he recognized that and it was like all pieces and parts but and what's really probably important to that end if you study the business model of a Disney still by far the most profitable part of the Disney enterprise even you think oh well all those Marvel movies make a lot of money and stuff it's actually the physical theme parks that make the the lion's share of the profit because they are so profitable and people are willing to spend so much money to be there so it's an interesting sort of weighing process, right, of how you do it. But to your point, uh, you know, there's still a limit on the capacity of Disneyland. And in these kinds of um, experiences that we're yeah, talking there's no about, limit, yeah. there's, there's no, virtually no limit. Um, but the other thing, and this is a little bit of a, an, you know, left turn here, but I, the fact that you brought up music, one of the things that has been really exciting to me, and also because part of our team is, we call it Skylab, they're a, you know outgrowth of, of Skywalker Sound, but they work in, in uh, real-time audio and spatialized audio and so forth, is the importance of sound and music in these experiences. Mm. I think it's even more important than it is in film and television. And so for people that are um, sound designers and people that are musicians, et cetera, I think this is such an amazing space. Um, yeah, to unlimited be possibilities, right? For creativity yeah. and commerce yep. and yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> one other topic that I wanted to bring up here and it's probably a good, good place for the last third of our conversation is um, I think we can agree that the VR that you have been extolling uh, a moment ago is still not good enough, right? Yes, I would still, largely say that's we, correct. We, I mean, the optics are great to us because we've been playing video games for 20 years, so we're like, oh my God, these are great graphics. But to a lot of people who come in, they're like, well, I'm in the middle of a video game. That's yeah. not virtual reality to me. So that's problem number one, and that will be solved, setting that aside. But there are the other things, the sense of touch, your ability to locomote, right? So are those things in the future of entertainment? Are we gonna have like pads like in Ready Player One to walk around and yeah. put on our haptic vests so that you, when a girl touches you, you feel it on your chest? Is that gonna happen? I, I largely think it is gonna happen and a lot of it comes from theme park trickery and theme park philosophy and that imagineering type philosophy, right? That understanding of that. Um, but you and I talked about this either in person or on a no, podcast. No, this, is, this was on a podcast. We, we you know where I'm going. <laughs> um, I have this very strong belief. I'd be curious what you think about this too, that in the pretty near future, people are going to reorganize, redecorate their homes, and new home builders are going to build a rec room of the future. That's largely what Mark Bolas showed you, which is effectively an empty room that has super high level connectivity and the right kind of surfaces to capture the, 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 you know, the, the tracking mechanisms or whatever, and you'll likely have some sort of built-in treadmill in the floor that won't be obnoxious and stupid looking and it'll just open up and you'll you know, be able to move in real time. Um, I kind of have a belief, like I would invest in a company that's building a home of the future where part of the home is this futuristic entertainment center that can you know, alter and be like a large screen television, like a big movie-ish screen like this, but also can be your VR and mixed reality sort of workroom, playroom, social room, 
your living space. Um, I think that's a real thing, and I think that's going to happen. I think it's a real thing too, and it's really the home uh, home theater, yeah, the home uh, entertainment of the environment future. of tomorrow, right? Yeah, and. Um, and we talked about this a number of years ago. You know, we were trying to envision, like, what is the theater-going experience going to be like when not in the home but, but out of the home. And we were really contemplating things like, are you really sitting down? Are you sitting down for the whole thing? Is it actually broken up into pieces? You know, is there a, the equivalent of, like, a pre-show, a show and a, and a post-show? Um, and I think all of those things become relevant, but I, um, I would agree with you about what that... And I actually like that idea a lot for yeah, any well, real estate well, developers. So I love that you brought up the future of the movie theater because when we talk about the future of entertainment, I'm, I think that that's a really big part. And, of course, we're coming out of a pandemic now. We don't exactly know whether people will rediscover movie going as we have known it, or whether they've given themselves over to streaming and now they're only gonna go to movies once a year. I mean, you must be talking about this every sure. day. Sure, I mean, both of our companies every do day. this. The reality is it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Like we already know, even pre-pandemic, there's a, a shocking statistic, you know this well, that it's about, in the United States and Canada, sort of the North American profile, the amount of times people actually go to a physical movie theater to see a movie, pre-pandemic is like four and a half times a year on average. So it's only once every three or four months anyway they go, so it needs to be event-oriented because of the cost dynamics and the, the convenience issues, right? So turning that back in time is not gonna happen. Right. But turning it forward in time as we start to enter the age of the metaverse and knowing that there's still an important both cultural and, and like tactile experience of going to an actual theater, that is going to come back, it is coming back. It's already proven people want that experience. Do they want it more than once every other month? Likely not. So it's why your company, our company, are putting big bets on the on-demand world of streaming and having tighter windows and the kind of content you want to watch. Again, we need to get to where the customers are. We don't necessarily need the customers to get in their car and drive to where we are. And that's a big part of the culture is what Although, happens. you know, in terms of what we were just talking about, and one of the benefits of location-based entertainment in general is that you, you control 100% of the environment. So you could imagine creating theaters of the future that where you really do have almost, it's like your, your home theater on steroids. Yeah. And, um, and I think the, there's two reasons that would potentially be successful. One is because not everyone's gonna have that in their home. And secondly, there's still that, um, that event orientation where people go somewhere and they're with others. And I think that as designers of experiences, we should be thinking about like what is really compelling about that. And I kind of go back to, like, you know, we did Star Wars Secrets of the Empire, there's Dreamscape and, and other location-based um, experiences. But there was something that was delivered there that um, went beyond what could be done in the home. And very specifically, it was, you know, we could create a one-to-one -one mapping between the physical and the virtual world. So if you're in Star Wars and you see a wall in the virtual world and you reached out and you touched it, there actually was a wall. So there was this tactile element to it. And then you could have all the 4D effects. And the combination of those things caused um, people to buy into that reality in an extraordinary well, way. Well, I still think the best location-based VR experience ever made was Ghostbusters. It was the first thing... It was thing, super good. It I was agree. the first thing that was made by the um, ill-fated void. Yeah. Um, but what they did, for example, you're outside of the building, you're fighting the Marshmallow Man from, from uh, Ghostbusters, and you have to go outside on the ledge 
right? And there's a, a window washer. Yeah, and there's a whole bunch of 4D stuff happening. <laughs> and so you're walking yeah, the on wind this, and the noise this rickety and the aluminum basically bored on the ground, but they have you convinced that you're, you know, at the top of a, a skyscraper. <laughs> you know, there's wind, there's, you know, the sound of the cars far away. I, I thought that was an amazing mixed reality experience. And it's it's the beginnings of simulation, right? Yeah. The idea that we can take something that was largely a theme park style ride or installation, and we can use a technology layer to take it to a whole new level. Right? And, and look, we're doing and it bring at scale. It, and bring it to the neighborhood yeah, theater, and, and take it, it doesn't have to just live in a few theme parks in and exotic right, in places. Yeah. It can live in many places where lots of people can get to it, yeah. Well, and the other thing, you know, sort of going there, is I think that the um, augmented reality future is also quite interesting. I mean, one of the things we're focused a lot on is what does storytelling look like in augmented reality? And I, I can tell you that we are, we are only scratching the surface. I think there's so much to learn there. But the whole idea of skinning rooms, skinning the world in a meaningful way so that you now have this blend of the physical world and the digital world, I think is also going to be an, an, a whole new world building and transformative experience. You know, I, I use an example all the time that's just made up and it's made up specifically for Disney and from my background in, in Disney cartoons, which is that there's an app, an AR glasses app, that turns everybody you walk past, you know, I was living in New York City at the time, everybody I walk past is a Disney character. So it just, you know, uses, um, you know, uh, texture mapping and, and facial mapping and just transforms everybody yeah, into a cartoon character. And that's, you know, entertainment without a story. Right. But it makes walking down the street an adventure. And largely we've done that today. Your company's done things like that. We've done, uh, with our Nickelodeon group, we have an app called Do Not Touch. And the latest iteration of that is this face mapping technology where you can change your face into any character and show it to your parents and, you know, do it. And by the way, that was in the Facebook movie. Yeah. I say the Facebook keynote, but it really was a 70-minute yeah, movie that probably cost them $4 million, but they're two old guys playing chess, right. and one of them decides as a joke to put on a lion head. Um, you know, and that's, I mean, that is, you know, right now a, a science fiction movie, but could in 10 years actually happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some parts of it are already happening. happening. That's, the, exactly. that's the really terrible. So we're reaching the end here. Do you guys want to take some questions from the audience? Yeah, yeah. Do you guys have I any see, questions? I see there's a real audience in real yeah, life. They, out there. they showed up after we started talking. We've only done this in the virtual world for the last two years on a screen. I know. Right? So. Yeah, I know, it is pretty surreal. The virtual queue, as it were? <laughs> I have Matt, a question okay, here. A question. And yeah. could you guys repeat the question when you answer? Sure. Hi. So uh, I'm just curious, like, how far do you think we are from um, BCI to be a reality? Mm, BCI, brain computer Brain-computer interface. Oh, the, the, Good oh, question. Right, what, Thank you for bringing that Elon up. What Elon is playing around with. All right, and, ju and just uh, say the question so the virtual audience. How far away from BCI, the brain computer interface, are we? Um, scratching the surface, uh, largely understanding that it is possible. Uh, I've tested devices, bands that I've worn, and you think about something and it happens. It's still crude, but it is a, extraordinarily viable. It works. Like, there, there actually is um, yeah, a bracelet that Facebook or yeah. Meta they developed that, yeah. that um, can infer intentionality from nerve impulses so that, you know, right now they can get a click out of it. They don't have a lot of functionality. Very crude, but it's, 
If you can see it as something that's crude and largely unuseful today, you can see and you can map to the future of this will be amazingly useful once there, it gets there's, more There's also the tap wristband, which yeah. is new. Um, tap used to put, you put on a glove and it could see you typing. Now it's got a wristband that can detect right. your typing so you can type inside of VR or on a table onto your uh, mobile device. Uh, so it is, um, you know, slowly these kinds of devices that give us some additional agency in virtual environments um, are are becoming real. Becoming real, yeah. And, um, and of course this idea that we can have agency you know, inside of a virtual environment is, is really important, right? It was like the beginning of VR was like 360 video where you were kind of nailed to a spot and, you know, it was a three-dof system where you could just look around. Then we got to a six-dof system where you could move around and and that would be the next step. Right, the, what, the DOF is degrees of freedom, right? The idea of, like in the real world, we can move places and that's what we, when we refer to VR entertainment well beyond three dimensions, it's what we call spatial entertainment because you're actually in space. Even though you're not in real space, you're moving around in space, which is what's so magical about it to me. Well, it looks like we're out of time. We could keep going. I have a bunch of other <laughs> things I want to ask. So uh, perhaps we'll do that off stage. Thank you guys very much for listening Thank to you. us. And enjoy the rest of the show. Let's have a big hand for Charlie, Vicky, and Ted, who always answer the call to come and talk here at the Infinity Festival. Thank you so much.